Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Shaman's Brew. In this week's show, I wanted to introduce my listeners to the world of the Druids, or more specifically, the order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. Druidry is a vital and dynamic nature spirituality that is flourishing all over the world. It unites our love of the earth with our love of creativity and the arts flowing through all the exciting new developments in modern Druidism is the power of the ancient traditions, the love of the land, sea, and sky, the love of the earth, our home. And I think one of the best ways to introduce this topic to you is to share with you a wonderful podcast produced monthly by a friend of mine, Dave the Bard, whose website can be found at www.druidry.org. This podcast is uh, about an hour long, so I'm going to start it now for you and uh, just sit back and enjoy and discover the world of the Druids. You're listening to Druidcast episode 77. Stand what I'm saying I don't speak 
Welcome to Druidcast episode 77, a monthly podcast brought to you by the lovely people of the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids. I am your host, Dave the Bard, and I'm here once more to pour some druidic delights into your ears via the conduit of your preferred mp3 device opening the show you heard i don't speak human from the new live album from the band omnia and i'll be playing another song from that album later on in the show we've got more music a classic celtic myth told by a master bard but first 
we have this month's talky bit. Now, this is an OBOD podcast, right? And although we have an incredibly wide range of guests, every now and again, we want to blow our own trumpet. Last month saw the printing of the 200th edition of the Orders magazine Touchstone. And to celebrate this month's talky bit is an interview with the magazine's long-term editor and author, Penny Billington. Um, I am on Skype with Penny Billington, author and long-term uh, editor of Touchstone. Hello, Penny. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? It's lovely to be talking to you about one of my favourite things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paper paper edition uh, of a magazine, which is just stuffed full of druidry every month. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well, we've had you on twice before on podcast. You've, you were on in September 2008. And you also were on in October 2011, uh, just uh, just before the launch of your book, of course. But today, we're going to talk to you about something that you're very well known to OBOB members for, and that's your editorship of Touchstone, which has just had its 200th episode. Yeah. Um, so what do you see as the role of editor, Penny? Well, maybe the role of editor has changed over the years because, because of course, it used to be a newsletter mm. and it used to be just information coming through from the office. Yeah. And it's gone through a number of incarnations. So we'll just go through that. Then I'll tell you what I think the role of the editor is. Sure. I've got some stuff. There's going to be lots of rustling paper in the background. That's meant to be. That's not a technical fault. That's meant to be really atmospheric. That's fantastic. Right? So, uh, Anyone listening? So how has the magazine changed over the years? That's what we'll start off with then. Well, I've got December, uh, a December newsletter here from 1993, uh, dear member. But before that, I've got Stephanie writing in well. June 93. <laughs> dear member, because Stephanie used to be responsible for getting all this stuff out, posting it to everyone um, a one-woman enterprise. <laughs> and at the bottom of June 93, the newsletter she's put, we're very happy to wel- welcome Walter van Rijn from Holland. Um, maybe he'll be responsible for some newsletters soon. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, in December 93, dear member, this is uh, Walter having taken over completely. Fantastic. Um, but he says something very interesting uh, about we're inviting presentations from some of the groves and sea groups as you'll discover, each of them is very different in character and atmosphere. There are about 30 groups now. We've invited them all to write a presentation, um, and we hope to print as many as possible. So that's in December 1993. Um, come fast forward to now, 2013, and I'm still saying the same thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. stable number of grows, and I'm still every month saying, hey, come on, write in us and tell us what you're up to. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and of course, I mean, I joined the order April ninety four, and I remember although the worst came through in their B four format, the newsletter was always a folded A four booklet. Yes, um, so it was folded in half, and of course, back then, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have internet group, so that newsletter really was the monthly way of people keeping in touch within the order all over the world it was it was an amazing thing to read that, that this order that i joined was a worldwide phenomenon and that really brought that home every month you know yeah i think we've got to remember that it was um it was a much smaller organization then mm. so although it was it was worldwide um the feeling of the early newsletters was much more personal yeah because a lot of the people 
uh, felt they they were a smaller group and they knew each other more intimately. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed in reading through the first ones is that I can't really repeat them because they're so uh, passionate about, about what they say that they're really rude about other people. <laughs> How can so-and-so in the XXXC group possibly say this? Are they barking mad? <laughs> People don't tend to write in that way anymore. We're much more sensitive to each other's feelings and, and careful and, and aware that we put. But there was a real in-house feeling that you could say what you wanted and yeah. wag the finger at people and have a good go at them. And of course, people. Stuff. Yeah, and of course, people were quite happy to wait an entire month to get that reply. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now, I guess that kind of behaviour has, has gone on to the kind of message boards and Facebooks. But now, you know, you can you can have a good old Barney at each other in real time, almost. You well, know, that's right. And uh, you know, is that a good or a bad thing? The, I don't think the jury's out. But no. I know internet fanatics will uh, disagree. No. There's, there's things to be said for both. Well, there's certainly things to be said for giving space to calm down. And I, I think yes. that's the thing that that gave us back in the day, you know, space yes. to just take a moment and say, look, does this really matter? Whereas now that's not necessarily the case, is it? That's true, yeah. Yeah, and so at some point it went from the OBOD newsletter, that A4 folded um, few sheets of paper that was, like you say, yep. very, very personal and very, very intimate um, about an order that was growing quite rapidly but still hadn't reached, you know, where it's got to today. And then it became... I remember actually it was Philip did a did a competition didn't he um to name the magazine well, That's right. Yeah, and, and and the winner wanted to remain anonymous, so I don't know who chose Touchstone. No, I don't suppose. No, I've never found that out either. But no. um, but no. uh, yeah, and it's then, a huge magazine. I've got I've got some. They're like bed sheets. They're big A4. Yeah. So there must be A3 sheets uh, folded over. Yeah. I've got issue number three here, which I picked out because. Um, it was after your first summer camp, Dave, and you. So you've written to the magazine, yeah. And you'd like to thank everyone for a wonderful summer camp, having a fabulous time. And you, um, where is it? You were introduced to the possibility that the Oem are magical notes. It is now an ambition of mine to actually sing ancient Oem script. Mind blowing. So, have you blown your mind with that one yet, my dear? <laughs> or are we still? Is that still a work in progress? Well, you know, the music and everything was was that was the point. I think where the seed was was yes. put in the put in the earth at that camp. In fact, it was that camp and another Wiccan camp I went to within weeks of each other uh, yeah. when I was introduced to the idea of campfire music and stuff. And I realised that we had lots of chants, but we didn't necessarily have songs. That's and right. That, yeah, and that's what pushed me down that route. And I guess as far as the, the organ is concerned, the closest I've got probably is my song The Greenwood Grove, which was, it's not necessarily the music is notation in, in that kind of organ pentatonic scale that I was introduced to, but the lyrics mm. are a bardic mnemonic to, to remember the organ in the order of their staves. So I did do something with it, but it, and it took me oh, quite a few years. <laughs> not, an easy, not easy, the organ, but, uh, but yeah. worth the study, isn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah got there in the end. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I wanted to tell you what I think the role of the editor is because when people get the magazine, they might think, what on earth does she think she's doing? So this is what I think one of my main roles is. Well, 
I have to I have to look at the stuff and make sure nothing offensive go, goes in. Mm. And as we get more and more sensitive, that becomes a bit more difficult to do. But I think the pendulum's turning on, uh, spinning the other way on oversensitivity. I think we're all getting a bit more robust. But obviously, nothing offensive that would go with any public uh, publication. Um, the other thing is I want people's ideas to come across. People are bothering to write. And I don't want simple things to get in the way. So I do correct spellings and things like that because people deserve to be presented, you know, in in the way that uh, everyone can understand them. And we do get dyslexic people writing. So I'll, if you're dyslexic, don't let it put you off. I'll tidy up your spelling. Mm. Um, sometimes I do quite a bit of editing if a, if an article is long and the peop- and people actually want me to. And if, for example, you've got a you've written a bereavement article, you really don't want to go through that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've poured out your heart, and actually, I say, would you mind if I try and do this sensitively? People are usually glad of that, but I would never do that without um, contacting the person first. Mm. Um, and one thing I've done during my tenure is I've actively encouraged shorter articles because I think when you get a small magazine through the post. You look at everything, you see a long article and think, oh, that looks really interesting. I'll read that when I've got time. And then you tend not to pick the magazine up again. So um, articles have gone down from sort of 3,000 words or so down to 1,500, which means, of course, I always need more pieces. Sure. Um, So I'll try to present a good mix and I try to keep an eye out for ideas arising. So something's in the ether. If I get two articles on a subject... I'll hold them and put put that in the editorial and maybe more things will come in mm. than I can theme an issue. Yeah, yeah. And the main thing is to be inclusive and to try and get people who would never think of writing to write for the first time. It's a great thing to see your name in print. Oh, absolutely. It really is. It's fabulous. Yeah, I, I remember, um, I guess, actually that letter you talk about was probably the first thing I ever got in print yep. uh, in the magazine. And then the next thing I sent off was the lyrics uh, were the lyrics to the Noon of the Solstice song that I wrote, and uh-huh. and and they put that on the front page, and it was, and I remember I I, I wasn't working at the office at the time, I was you know, um, yep. receiving the course just like everybody else, and uh, and I remember getting the magazine through the post and seeing that on the front page, and and it just being such a massive, oh my word, I'm a mm. pub, I'm a published poet, <laughs> you know? and usually yeah. when you look at it, you you. You have an, an acute anxiety attack and think, "Oh, was it as good as I possibly could make it?" You know, and think, <laughs> if I'd realised what it looked like seeing your your baby actually out in the world, yeah, you, it makes everyone just realise you put your money where your mouth is, and everyone can read and yeah. have an opinion on what you've done. Very Absolutely. exciting, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, Walter did the newsletter. Then I think that was taken over by Maddie, and yes. then and then I took I was I was ed- editor for about two two and a half years um and then you took over from me when when did you take over from me i think it was september september 2001 so you've been doing this for 12 years yeah it's fantastic and you do do you still get the you know do you still enjoy it after all that time oh i said well can i say most people get pretty boring things uh, on their emails and through the post but i of course get fascinating (laughs) insights into people's druidic experiences it's a real privilege absolutely yeah it's still exciting now um and uh thoroughly enjoyable yeah um so 
what I do because I always want the new person, the person who hasn't written um, to, to write to me. So in the editorial, I try and often in the editorial, I'm suggesting things at the end. Mm. Oh, if you've been to camp, why not let us know what you're doing? Um, if you've got thoughts on stars or moons or whatever. Um, and this month I've put something in about handwritten pieces. I think a lot of people think with computer dominance that if they just handwrite and don't have a computer, they're sort of out the loop. Mm. Now, yeah. of course, in one way, it's a pain to get a handwritten piece because I've got to type it and I'm as lazy as the next person. <laughs> but, it is, but it is my job. That's yeah. part of my job. And in the other, on the other hand, it's very exciting to see something in someone's own handwriting. It's like more of the personality of the person comes through. Sure. So um, I've had three or four hundred, coincidentally, handwritten pieces all at once. I suddenly thought, I wonder how many people are out there and think, hmm, it's computer or nothing if I want to contribute. Right. So all these things. But the other things I try to do to encourage people is to ring the changes, have little competitions or quizzes or poetry, bardic challenges. Yeah. Have one on once on the most obscure bardic uh, poetry form, the villanelle. It's weird. <laughs> line A has to rhyme with line C. Line B has to rhyme with C. You know, it's really complex. But yeah. So it's more for a mathematician than a poet, you would think. Yeah. But I got loads of responses. I bet you did. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's a bardic, that's a bardic challenge in itself yeah. is to, to, you know, to do that. So that's fantastic. And do you, when you get up in the morning and walk down to your post box, do you have to kind of push all of the contributions to one side to get to the front door? Or, or you know, are you overrun with contributions for the magazine? Well, no, no, I, <laughs> I'm really, really not. But they come in at a steady and satisfying. They're like a sort of, uh, stream that's very rarely and we know very rarely get a flash flood but we very rarely get a drought either mm. so everything trickles away quite uh, quite nicely I'm always quite glad when the last perfect piece comes in just to fill up the last little space yeah so if anyone thinks oh they must be overrun why would I bother um don't think that at all because yours might be the piece that stops a great big blank square of paper going out at the end of the next edition of the magazine sure you can, you can never tell i've got some clary hues just to show how clever people are if i can find them i'm going to rustle paper again all right yeah now this was a competition just for fun it was a poetry competition clary hues the clary a clary hue is um named after the person who invented it and it's four lines that are not whose lines are of unequal length and it had to be druidic mm. and the best way of explaining it is by example here we go the lady of the lake submerged the blade excalibur myth says for arthur's sake and now in modern folly we commit to her old boots old bikes and the sacred shopping trolley <laughs> so, uh, then we've got um a much shorter one Sir Lancelot Dulac was good in the sack. You've no idea, murmured Guinevere. You see, <laughs> they get quite racy, these. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, Bran loved the clan, cut off his head, white mount its bed. So all these people who are writing this funny stuff for us really know their onions. Oh, don't? yeah. <laughs> there's a fair bit of, um, there's a quality stuff here. Here's one from the uh, fourth branch of the Mabinogian. Ariane Rod of the Silver Wheel said, Math's magic made me real. Jumped his wand and my womb stirred. 
you'd think he'd take a lady's word. <laughs> See? Um, and my favourite of this particular one was um, Branwen, daughter of Leah, wrote, I'd like to make it perfectly clear, I'm sending messages by Starling because Mytholoch is no longer my darling. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so don't want to do their Mabinogian. They're pretty funny things. If they don't, that encourages them yeah. to look at their, the Druid content, you know, or, you know, the myth and folklore of our islands, yeah, to, yeah. Um, so they can share the joke. I've always been impressed by the way you keep those kinds of things going in the, in the magazine. And but do, you know, do you ever, apart from kind of encouraging things like that in the editorials and stuff, do you ever commission pieces directly with people? Very, very rarely, but often um, at the end of the year. I might ask someone because the uh, January edition is always a difficult one, one to fill. Everyone is so busy in December mm. and people don't get a touchstone or the worst in December. So it's sort of out of their minds. So I know there's going to be a little drought in December and I don't want to be put in the magazine, uh, concocting a whole magazine over the solstice yeah. um, uh, out of out of no contribution. So sometimes I get commission pieces then um, from people in the order, people like Caitlin Matthews, she's written for us, and sometimes from people outside the order as well, mm. if they've got a good... Uh, it really, I do it if, if I've met them and I think they've got a druidic stance on and take on things. Uh, you know, a way of expressing themselves that our members will enjoy. Sure. Usually it's that time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, lots of people listening to the podcast. There are a lot of members who listen to the podcast, but there are also a lot of people who aren't members of the Order who are just listening because they're interested in Druidry, that kind of thing. Um, now, the Touchstone is a magazine produced purely for members of the order that goes out through subscription, through membership, and through the course, you know, with the courses as they go out. But you don't have to be a member to contribute, is that right? You don't have to be, no. Yeah. But uh, it, we do, one of the things members like is they are, if they contribute, their privacy is completely protected. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's just there is one paper copy in their house, in every other member's house, mm. and, and that's it. But, yes, no, as I say, I have commissioned from uh, well-known authors like Alan Richardson, who yeah. wrote very interestingly on Earth Magic. So I do take things from outside the order. Of course, a member's thing would always get priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so if, do you have any kind of preference? Is it articles over poetry, or is it just anything, anything and everything? Well... From a personal point of view, there's no no preference at all. What I get in is a lot of poetry, less articles, and very little art. Mm. So, but from an editorial point of view, I think there's a really interesting um, balance between poetry and articles. And these are my thoughts as an editor. When you write poetry, it is a personal expression that has uh, an integrity and a real validity. For you, it might not express itself in a way that can be understood by a lot of other people. Mm. But when you write an article, you're not only writing to express yourself, you're writing to communicate with other people. With poetry, it's to communicate with yourself to really understand uh, your own experience of Arwen. Sure. Um, but the, an article is written to be read by someone else. Um, and that's the difference. So when I have very, very, I mean, I get people's poetry and sometimes it's four pages long mm. and I love reading it. It's a privilege, 
but I cannot take up half of an edition for that. No. On one, one piece, very personal thing. Whereas if someone writes a three-page article expressly to communicate with other people and get feedback and get their ideas working, um, then I have no problems putting that in. Yeah. It's a very interesting uh, thing. And, of course, the better the poetry, the more it re- resonates with everyone who reads it. Mm. I've got to say, in this next edition, we've got some cracking poetry. Um but if your poems are going to be more than a column, in le- a touchdown column in length, I will struggle to put them in, much as I'd like to. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. I, I kind of had the same outlook, you know, when I was editor. Now, yeah. obviously, people send in books for review yeah. to Touchstone. And um, I know that sometimes it can take longer than maybe the publisher or the writer would mm. like to get that review in. Can you just kind of shed some light on that? Probably so that you can also help yourself stop yes. getting hassled by people. <laughs> yes. Um, getting review copies in is wonderful, but getting review... It, the post doesn't help. I've got to say, in England, the postal system has changed and you used to be able to post out uh, little parcels for very little money. Mum, Mum and I used to send each other wrapped up snowdrops through the post for pennies. Now, if you want to send a book, it costs an absolute fortune. Mm. Um, and getting a, so when I get books in, getting them out to reviewers mm. is quite difficult. I've got a little stable of pretty local reviewers, local to me, so I can pass things over, or I pass them over at the midsummer and midwinter gatherings mm. um, if they come in at that at the right time of year. But Everyone is a volunteer. Yeah. And if they take two months to get round to it, I can either, if I ask for it back, I might not have another reviewer um, handy yeah. who can do it in less time. So re- getting reviews is a problem, but we do do our very, very best with a good team of people, um, which includes myself and Arthur, I've mm. got to say, who's my in house uh, illustrator proofreader and usually reviewer as well Mm. so please be patient because when your review does go out it will go out to members yeah um other members who will be very interested in in knowing about what you do yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it is is very much you know a niche so if if somebody has written a book or or recorded a cd about the druid tradition or something like that you know the current print run is just oh is about 1200 1200 still which is pretty pretty good for uh, uh such a niche magazine i think you know um in an age of electronic matter though do you think that a paper magazine can continue as it is now that's the question it certainly can but i want to split it into two questions the first is and this is another blatant attempt to get more people review uh more people writing i'm just going to mention very quickly if you if you are an obob member and you've never had the confidence to write just follow these guidelines and you can't go wrong take 30 seconds the first thing is look at what you're writing is it druidic of druidic interest the second thing is Speak in your own voice. Don't start trying to talk like Mallory in or or Tennyson in The Death of Arthur. You, if you say, strike a light, guess what happened to me the other day? This little wren popped out of the hedge. If that's the way you speak, write it like that and we'll hear your voice through it. Don't try and write like a druid writes because you're a druid. Um, let the story takes it take as long as it takes. Don't try and make it longer or shorter to fit in what, with what you think I want. Just write it. And don't be bounded by what you send, send in. A contribution could be a news article or your response to it. I'll give you an example. 
When the Welsh Eisteddfod Druids called English Druids pot-smoking hippies in print in the national newspapers, no one wrote in and complained to me, and I don't understand why. (laughs) (laughs) So anything that takes your fancy and is druidic, just send it in. And now down to your question. Yes. Can a paper magazine supply uh, survive in an age of electronic matter? Mm. Well, paper and getting something through the door is very, very druidic. It is a first-hand experience where, you know, in a way that I think getting stuff on computer isn't. Um, I think people, I know from feedback, people like holding touchstone, turning the pages and keeping them and referring back to them. Um, Having a paper copy allows absolute privacy for your personal communication to other members. It cannot be hacked in any way unless your neighbour comes into your living room and nicks it. Um, Otherwise, it's completely private. Mm. Um, And although you can search the website to keep you up to date, Touchstone keeps you in touch in a very special way. Because this Touchstone is for people actively pursuing the course. Most people are solitary, but this, just as it was in 94, 95, when you were contributing and reading it, Dave, uh, as a bard, this tells you what's happening with the people who are actively engaged in the practice of learning about druidry at the moment. It's a unique mix of research articles, homespun druid wisdom, maybe recipes, personal experience, news from the groves, very important, Mm -hmm. reviews, poetry, and anything else the members choose to send in. Um, So I think hurrah for us all. Yes, indeed. Contributors are absolutely brilliant and i know that people love getting it through the letterbox with their quiz so thank you to all contributors past and future we've just had our 200th edition and long may it continue i'm sure it will well um if you want to get in touch with penny her email is touchstone at druidry.org if you want to get in touch with penny send articles or poems or photographs and stuff to to her for the magazine that would be fantastic or even just to to have a chat i'm sure that would be good too Uh, penny you're awesome i mean really you've you've kept up the energy in that magazine for 12 years and i pick up touchstone now and to me it's it feels as fresh and as vibrant and as exciting as it did when you just took over so hats off to you really thank you're you. amazing thank, thank you. you all right then thanks for talking to us on this and 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 congratulations on the 200th edition thank you very much all right penny thank you bye-bye bye
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview there with Penny. She really is amazing for keeping the energy going each month with Touchstone. But so are you. So if you have a poem, a story, an article that you would like considered for publication in Touchstone, Penny's email address, as we said, is touchstone at druidry.org. I am sure she'll be very happy to hear from you. After the interview, you heard of Dreams Forgotten and Fables Untold by The Moon and the Night Spirit from the album of Dreams Forgotten and Fables Untold. Druidcast is proud to bring you story time now. So... If you can, stop whatever you're doing, close your eyes. If you're driving, stop driving first, um, which is why I said stop whatever you're doing. Um, Close your eyes and allow the amazing bard, Fiona Davidson, to take you on a journey to the other world as only a master bard can. Set your feet on the forest path as you journey to meet Finn McCall in the call of Sava. It was in the dark of night, on the eve of Bialtane, that we now call Mede, that Fionn lay sleepless and restless in his bed. Dear to him though the carved roof beams of Aldine were, his heart longed to rest beneath the stars on this holy night. And so he arose without wakening his household, and he called softly to his two hounds, Bran and Scowlan. Many a time he'd stolen away with only these two white ones for company. They were hounds from Tiernan Oak, from fairy land. The blood of enchantment was in them, and more than human was the wisdom they owned. Quietly then, these three crept from the dune of Alvine, and through the long night they wandered not caring to what place chance took them. When the sky was pale with the dawn, before the earth had felt the first flame of the sun, they came to a wood of twisted thorn trees, standing purple-black against the fainting stars. Strangely twisted and gnarled and ancient were these bare trees. A harsh wind indeed must have stripped these leaves from them and left this tiny groove suspended in time and trapped in the night of the year. No wind stirred this place now, nor stirred the smouldering gold of leaves spread thickly underfoot. Everywhere was silence. The hounds would not enter that place, they haunted at its boundary, white amongst the shadows. And yet to Fionn, it seemed, they'd known this place before. Perhaps in some dream or vision or some time long since passed away. He lay down and let his mind tangle amongst the net of branches thrown against the stars. Such a silence, weird and motionless, was everywhere. Such a honey, heavy peace. 
This place gently crowded on Fionn, half memories, secret and unaccountable. Voices called out for a moment, faces shone, laughter echoed out of a country he had loved once, deep hidden now, cobwebbed in forgetfulness. And then suddenly, like a glint of moonbeam on water, suddenly as flame, a silver pale hind flashed from the forest and was gone. Fionn didn't move, for it seemed to him as though the hind was a part of his dreaming, as if it glowed there palely, all in the youth of the world, in a stillness dearer and closer to him than his own life. But Bran and Scowland, they started up, and they followed the creature. For hunting hounds, they were strangely silent, mute and quiet-footed. They slipped after the hind in the sinking mist. And it was the strangeness of this that roused Fionn, and he shook his dreaming from him, and he followed them. He came up with them at last, where a rocky hill slanted into a green valley of singing streams. There, in the very heart of this dark wood, lay this green haven. Here, where all streams met, stood a single rowan tree. There stood the silver pale hind. There stood Bran and Scowlin, moving around her soundlessly, milkily white against the moon paleness of her. And all of them pearl-like in the dew wage grass. A sense of dreaming overtook Fionn again, and as the three animals lost themselves together into the green growth of May, he followed as if their very movements beckoned him on. All three were creatures from the other world. It seemed to Fionn that they scarce could keep a foothold in this world, and it was in this trance-like fashion that they led him dancing and circling around him back home to the Dun of Alwine. When they were close to it, the sun was well over the rim of the world. It shone redly on the bronze doors thrown open for Fionn. But it was the hind that entered first. Lightly she crossed the threshold stone, and when she had entered, it was not a hind that turned and waited for Fionn, but a beautiful, slender maiden. In a cloak of sparkling silver, moving and changing with each moment, like the silver the moon spreads on the sea. There was so much wonder on Fionn that for a time he had no words, but his heart said to him, There is no woman living that is lovely after this one. She has every woman's beauty on her face. The lady in the silver cloak smiled. Fionn said, at last, I am thinking that a woman from out of the fairy hills, a queen from out of the fairy hills, has come into my house. And she said, 
I am Salva, and I have indeed come from a hill palace, and it is to ask of your protection that I have come, the protection of the strength that is in you against the dark lord whose power holds me in his spell. That protection you shall have, said Fionn, for I shall kill this man if he dares to take you against your will. Ah, she said, no man can slay the dark lord or turn him into anything but what he is. But while I am with you, fair one, in your done, he has no power over me. White love, where you are, all things are but shadows of you. My home and everything in it is yours. The weeks and months Fionn spent with Sava outshone all others throughout the long length of his life. He set his love on her, and she turned with love to him from the very first. And that summer seemed the fairest that Alwine had ever known. Sava had no wish to cross the threshold of her sanctuary, and for sheer love of her, Fionn stayed with her all the time. Oh, but deep within him there lurked a fear that he would not be able to keep her. She was life to him. She was his guiding star. He would lose her. No man could keep such perfection for more than just a short while. He hoarded his moments with her. Day and night. And so it was with them until autumn decayed and Samhain, the feast of the coming of winter, crept near. News reached Donalain of an invasion on the coast by strangers from far to the north, the men of Lochlan, and so Fionn was forced to leave Donalain and Sava at last. He called together his finest warriors and made ready to depart. Spears flashed in the sunlight, banners moved like brightly coloured birds. There was the clash of sword on shield rim and the thunder of horses' hooves. Aye, but heavier than a stone was Fionn's heart within him. He called a company of his finest warriors to stay behind and guard Sava. They made ritual to ask protection of the gods. They cast sweet-scented herbs to the wind. They poured mead to enrich the earth and all that Sava might be free from harm. The battle was easy. Fionn and his men broke the sea reavers and turned their battered ships back into the churning tides. After only a few days, they were again within sight of Dun Alain. Fionn sounded his battle horn, the Dúrt Fionn, that Sava might come and greet him, but the great doors were thrown open blankly. She was not there, Fear dropped into Fionn's heart, more than the bloodiest battle could inspire. Where is the lady I left you to guard? One of the warriors came forward. Only yesterday, at dusk, a man came, in your shape, and your two hounds with him. He called to Sava, and she ran from the dun, crying your name. But when she drew near, he changed into a pillar of blackness, and she changed before our eyes into a silver pale hind. She turned back towards Dunalain, but the two hounds that were Bran and were Skolan, they turned black and vicious, and they snarled and they snapped, and they drove her ever further from Dunalain, following in the wake of their dark master. We who watched, 
We were also under enchantment. We had no power to move hand or foot against what we saw. And when strength returned to us at last, we'd searched all of the day and all of the night. But she had left the face of this world. How can we, who have only mortal wits, prevail against the hidden ones? The elm spoke no word, nor looked at anyone. But he turned, and he walked blindly to his own chamber. Not for three days or nights did he show himself. It was such a grief to his people to see his heaviness of spirit. None dared speak to him of Slava ever again. And so it was with Fion for seven long years. For seven long years Fion did not blow the hunting horn. For seven long years Fion did not know the joy of feasting or the joy of song. He left the walls of Dun Aline only to go in vain searching through hills and glens for sight or news of Sava. But he got neither. And he often haunted at dawn of any day or dusk of any eve the wood of twisted thorns that guarded the single rowan tree at its heart. The wood of the white hind. And so it came to pass, in the seventh year after Sava had first smiled upon Fionn, that he found himself a time and a time amongst many in that same enchanted glade. Eagerly he sought out the rowan tree. He'd watched her all the year, going from leaf to blossom, and now her rich red fruit hung in heavy clusters, weighing down her slender bough. But this morning, he was not alone. There, in the soft moss, under the tree, stood a naked child. The boy was pale-skinned and golden-haired in the sunlight. Bran and Scowlan stood one on either side of him, and the child between smiled. So, in the open doorway of Dun Aline, had Sava smiled on that first mysterious day. And as Fionn had stood wordless before her then, so he stood now before this tiny child. And then, any doubt he may have had broke away from him at last, and he gave one great shout of joy. Sava's child, my own son. was a bittersweet homecoming to Dun Aline. And little by little, as the child learned the talk of men, he told of his mother, and how he had only known her as a slender, pale hind, and how they had lived together in a fragrant and friendly country heavy with blossom and fruit, and how they had been happy there, save at times save at times when a dark and towering shadow thrust itself between them and then his mother shrank away and was afraid. But always the shadow left them again and they were happy 
until that last coming, when the Dark Lord did not leave, but stood between him and his mother, and in that endless blackness he lost her, and he lost that friendly country full of starry-branched trees, and he lost everything that he'd ever known, and he came somehow to that tiny glade and the green mossy bed and the baying of hounds. And the boy stayed with Fionn, who would often call him my share of love's riches, my little fawn, my Oshin. And that was the name he had always when he was man-grown. Oshin, little fawn. And like his father before him, he filled the mouths of bards with his name, for he too was a noble champion of the gale, and was himself one of our greatest bards, who made with harp and voice and heart a lasting beauty to feed the dreaming Mary Meet, we are Drayden and McKenna, and we are the hosts of Goddess Cast, the official podcast of songsofthegoddess.com. Our show will highlight music and artists who honor the pagan gods of old. Goddess Cast is a monthly podcast featuring news, reviews, artist interviews, and much more. To find us, visit our website at goddesscast.songsofthegoddess.com to find information about our latest episodes. Listen to us at Stitcher Radio and iTunes, where you can subscribe to automatically download the newest episode as they're released. And please feel free to leave a review. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter. Email us, goddesscast at songsofthegoddess.com. Tell your friends about GoddessCast. Blessed be. Oh my gods, I just cannot hear that story without tears in my eyes. She gets me every time. Fiona is now the head of the Kaliadee and is known as Fionn Tulach, and she was one of the biggest influences on my path after I saw her tell her tales at a pagan federation conference in London back in the 90s. She encompasses to me everything about the bardic craft, so I hope you enjoyed that tale. And the story was followed by a short advert for the new Goddess Cast podcast. So if you like this show, head over to theirs and click subscribe. In fact, I'd like to give a little shout out to my other podkin out there. A big hello to Mojo and Sparrow of the Wiggly and Way podcast. Ruth and Gary of the Celtic Myth Pod Show, R.A.L. of the Druidic Craft of the Wise, and Christopher Arapello of the Infinite and the Beyond, which will shortly be called Down at the Crossroads. These are all great podcasts, so if you enjoy Druidcast, do go and check them out, folks. This music, as you probably now know, means we are drawing to the end of another episode of Druidcast, but before I go... Let's have the results of last month's competition. The prize was a copy of Tuaha Dea's album, 
the tribe, and the question I asked was, from which island do the stories of the Tuaha de Danan come from? Well, the answer I was looking for was Ireland or Era, and the first name drawn from the hat. And the winner of that wonderful CD is Law Wells from Texas, USA. Congratulations, Law. You are going to love it. The prize this month is a copy of the new album from Omnia, Live on Earth. And the question I'd like you to answer is, during the story told by Fiona Davidson, Fionn and Sava had a son. What was that son's name? Email your answer along with your full postal address to druidcast at gmail.com and one of you will win that fabulous CD. And this concludes another episode of The Shaman's Brew. I hope you enjoyed Druidcast. And if you uh, would like to hear more, you can find it on iTunes or go to their website or you can go to my website, theshamansbrew.com and you'll see the links to that show and their websites. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew. <laughs>